You mentioned, well, as Kirk mentioned, I guess in the announcements, our lessons are on the home for this month. And today's lesson is on the godly marriage, and that is the title of it. We're going to basically look at the Bible and look at what the Bible teaches about the godly marriage. There are several passages that come to mind whenever we think of what God has in mind for marriage. And I think we've all noticed that in our day and time that marriage is a lot different than what it used to be. There are a lot of changes that have been made and certainly we see that in our society. But as we look at marriage overall, one of the things that we have to remember and keep in mind is that marriage is a godly institution. This is something that God created. And as He created it, it is a beautiful relationship. It's a beautiful thing. But we have to look at it through God's eyes. And I think we understand that the marriage that we see in our world today is barely recognizable as marriage in God's terms. By law, we understand that marriage has been altered to be lawfully terminated for any reason. It really doesn't matter. It can be irreconcilable differences. But it can be terminated for basically any reason. It's also been altered to include those of the same gender. Marrying one another. We've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks in our Bible school lessons. In Romans chapter 1. We see that this relationship is not natural. It's not what God created. But marriage in our society is not what God intended for His people. Marriage is, by definition, by God's definition of it, marriage is a commitment. Not just to a spouse, but also to God. It is a covenant that you make, a promise that you make and intend to keep. Marriage is sacred and binding. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. The godly home is founded on a godly marriage. If we want our homes to be what God wants our homes to be, then they must be founded on a godly marriage. Our lesson's focus today is on God's view of marriage. How God sees marriage, how God created marriage, and what we understand it to be from His Holy Word. To understand what marriage truly is, we need to go back to the beginning. Turn, if you will, to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and beginning with verse 18, we find out how God created the first marriage. Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. 
and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the woman and his wife, or the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, go back to that last verse. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We understand from the very beginning that there was nothing to be ashamed of. In this relationship between Adam and Eve, between man and woman, there was nothing to be ashamed of. It was instituted by God and thus fully blessed. Adam and Eve were in God's perfect garden, in His perfect care. There's no shame in this relationship at all until sin entered the world. Once sin entered the world, we see that, that Satan had some control. And this perfect state that they were in was no longer the case. But it wasn't until then that shame entered the picture. We also see the purpose of marriage here. For the purpose of marriage, a man or woman is to leave his or her parents being joined to the other. As long as the marriage is intact, one does not leave a spouse to go back home. I've heard of relationships that began in this way where maybe the child is married. They go to live with this spouse and, and they have difficulties. And at the first sign of difficulties, the answer, the solution is to go back home. Some parents will accept it. I've also heard of parents that said, go back to where you belong. Before the purpose of marriage, a man is to leave his father and mother and cling, cleave unto his wife. Now our parents are very dear to us. They should remain so. We have teachings throughout the New Testament that regard how we are to treat our parents later in life, make sure that we take care of them, make sure we, that we care for their needs. Yes, we need to care for our parents. 
We need to have a good relationship with our parents. But as dear as our parents are, the marriage relationship is more important. The relationship between a husband and his wife is now more important than the relationship with parents. And so, a child is to leave home, to leave unto the spouse, as long as their life shall last. We also see that the woman was a precious gift made just for the man. See, the animals, they, they had their, their other. They had their helper. But man did not. And when God saw man and saw what he needed, he created a helpmeet, a helper for him in creating woman. And men, we should see our, our women as very precious, as very dear to us in many respects. The woman should be seen as precious in the eyes of man and cared for accordingly. We also understand that, that within this marriage relationship that these two are now one flesh. No, not literally, but very similar. Once they are joined together, nothing, nothing is meant to separate them, save death. Once joined together, let me suggest to you that it should be as difficult to separate them as it is to separate a limb from the physical body. It's very difficult to separate an arm from the rest of the body or a leg from the rest of the body. You have to have some kind of powerful tool to, to separate them. And just as difficult as it is to separate something from our own bodies, from our own flesh, it should be that difficult to separate a godly marriage. We have to understand that any time that that marriage relationship is separated, for whatever the reason, even death, it causes damage. It causes damage to the husband or the wife. Even for the reason of divorce, there's damage that is caused, especially for the reason of divorce. Maybe that's why we're taught in the New Testament that there's only one reason that divorce is lawful for fornication, or sexual immorality. Look at Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 3, it says this, The Pharisees also came to Him, to Jesus, testing Him and saying to Him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And He answered and said to them, Have you not read that He who made them at the beginning made them male and female. And said, For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, 
but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. How many times do we see marriages that are formed with the idea in mind that they may be separated later? That was not God's reason for marriage. That was not His purpose for marriage. They are no longer two but one flesh. They need to act as if they are one flesh. They need to treat each situation as if they are one flesh. I have great respect. Whenever you ask someone to do something, well, let me check with my wife or let me check with my husband first. I have great respect for anyone that says that because they're acting as one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man put asunder. And in verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them in verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. This union that God brought together was not meant to be separated. Therefore it causes great damage when a marriage is separated in that way. I've seen people that are hurting still even after 20, 30 years from a divorce, that they're still suffering the effects of it because it was not meant to be separated. And there are even some cases, I've dealt with some cases where a marriage, uh, adultery, happened within that marriage. This cause of sexual immorality, this fornication, the, the reason, the only reason that is given for lawful divorce, I've seen where it happened within a marriage. But the two were able to reconcile. They were able to take care of that. And, and the marriage continues even to this day. Because they see the importance of staying together. They see that that marriage was not meant to be separated. And they wish to remain together. And that's perfectly lawful in God's eyes. That's perfectly alright. If they can make it work, more power to them. But if they need a divorce, this is the only reason that is ever given that God would allow divorce. Marriage is intended to last. We need to see the importance of that. Marriage in the New Testament is compared to Christ and His church in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning with verse 22, we are told this, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I've heard many people just stop there and say, no, that's outdated. No, it's not. These are God's words. These are His words to His people. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. We see another great importance of marriage in its comparison to Jesus and his relationship to the church. Yes, wives are told to be submissive to their husbands. Wives are told to respect their husbands, just as Christ is the head of the church. So, wives should see their husbands as the head of the home. And husbands, Husbands, we have a great duty as well. As a matter of fact, we're given more, more instruction here, I think, than wives are given instruction to their husbands. You see, husbands are to love their wives. And the perfect marriage, and a godly marriage, in the way that God created marriage to be, these two work perfectly hand in hand. Yes, wives are to be submissive to their husbands. But husbands are to love their wives. Husbands are not to rule with an iron fist. Whenever a decision is made, he should consult his wife. But ultimately the decision, in most cases, should go to him. Husbands love your wives. We have a great responsibility in 
loving our wives. We are to love our wives to the point that we are willing to give our lives for her. Christ was willing to give His life for His church, was He not? Did He not suffer great humiliation, great pain, great anguish on that cross? Did He not die to redeem His church? To purchase His church with His own blood? Just as Christ was willing to give His life for His church, and just as we see His love for us in His willingness to give His life, so we are to love our wives. So we are to be willing to give ourselves on their behalf if necessary. I don't know that I don't know that if I were faced with the situation of giving my life for another that would be an easy thing. I don't think it would be. But that's how much we are to love our wives. More than anyone else in the world, we are to put our wives before ourselves. We're to love her as much as we love ourselves. As we love our own bodies. You know, no one is going to intentionally, in their right mind, do any kind of damage to the body. And they may do something out of habit. They may do something that years later may affect them. But, but intentionally, I don't think anyone would, would willingly, in their right mind, torture themselves. Or do anything to damage their bodies. And just as we care for ourselves, we are to love our wives and to care for them just as if it was ourselves. Now, do we have that kind of relationship in our marriages? I don't think that we do all the time. I think we forget now and then how dear and precious our wives are to be to us. We need to treat them as if they were ourselves because they are. We are one flesh. Whatever decision I make that regards me and my household, I understand that it affects her as well. And I remember that in every decision. We are told of Christ in this passage. Christ is the head of the church. Christ loved the church greatly and sacrificed Himself. On her behalf. That is the kind of love. That we are to have for our wives husbands. That is the way that we are to see. Our homes. And in the same way that the church is structured. So is our home. There is a head. There is a bride. There is a family. There is a household. And whenever decisions are made. They affect that household. But just as Christ is the head of the church, husbands are to be the head of the home. Just as the church is submissive to Christ, so wives are to be submissive to their husbands. We are to act together 
as one. I want to look at one other passage before we close our lesson. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we have a great definition. Great words that are given in regard to love. I don't by any means think that this is specifically for the marriage relationship. I think it's in our love and dealing with other people as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those of the world, we need to love in that same way. But when you put these words in the perspective of a marriage relationship, they are very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's begin reading at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is long-suffering. Now there are many translations that, that have the word patience here instead of long-suffering but I like long-suffering the best. Because it is just what it is. Suffering long in any situation. And anything that you may be dealing with, suffer long with your spouse. Even if that suffering lasts for months or years, suffer long with them. Be patient with them. If there's something that they do that bothers you, be patient with them. If there's something that you're dealing with together that is very difficult, be patient. Be long-suffering. Love is kind. Even when you're dealing with something difficult, even uh, when there's something that, that you want to argue about, be kind. I realize I'm not perfect in that, that area. I'm not always kind. That's what God wants us to be. Be kind to them. Love's behavior is described here. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking or easily provoked. Love does not think evil and rejoices only in the truth. Whenever something is presented to us, maybe something that, that a spouse has, maybe has done, our first instinct is not to think evil of them. It's not to think evil of anyone. think of the best of intentions because that's most likely what was in mind. 
Rejoice only in the truth, not, not in some, something that has been fabricated. Don't rejoice in sin, but rejoice in the truth. The truth in that relationship, the truth in God's Word. Rejoice in doing those things that God is pleased with. And it says in verse 7 that love bears. Love believes. Love hopes. And love endures all things. Love is very powerful. It's very important in that relationship. And we're told in verse 8 that love never fails. These are beautiful words. Maybe we don't apply them always in all aspects. Maybe we don't remember them as we should. Let's love as God has defined love. Do you remember your vows? Do you remember the vows that you made on your wedding day? Do you remember how important they are? Now, our vows may vary in different marriage ceremonies, but ultimately, they are very similar in many respects. Cameron, as it is in my book, Wilt thou have this woman to be thy wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance? In the holiest state of matrimony, wilt thou love her, comfort her, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her, so long as ye both shall live. Did you say, I do? Did you commit yourself to your spouse? Maybe they were something like this. I, so-and-so, take thee, so-and-so, to be my wedded husband, to have, to hold from this day forward, or wife, if that be the case. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I give thee my trial. Now maybe your wedding vows didn't sound exactly like that, but the idea is there. When you said your vows to your spouse, did you mean them? Did you intend for that marriage to last as long as you both shall live? Not just are you making that promise, not only are you making that promise to your spouse, but you're making that promise to God as well. Have you been faithful to that promise? Have you been faithful to your spouse? Have you lived in accordance with God's Word? Faithful to that marriage relationship always in all things. 
We're not perfect people. I think we understand that even from the time that we're married. We're not perfect. We're not marrying a perfect person, so looking for perfection is almost useless, at least in this lifetime. But you see someone that you love, someone that you care for deeply, someone that you're willing to commit your life to, to do only those things that are in their favor. That's the godly marriage. I hope that we have godly marriages. And maybe those marriages have been separated. I don't know your situation. Maybe they've been separated for the right reason. I don't know. But I hope that in our marriages we see the importance of God's union. Now this is not something that man created. Now man has turned it into something that it's <clears throat> that, it, that it wasn't intended to be. But marriage was instituted by God for a very particular purpose. Man was in need of a helpmate, and God understood that. He was in need of someone to help him throughout his life. And so he gave them that option. There may be cases where people choose not to be married, and, and Paul says that's, that's great as well. He himself wasn't married. He dedicated himself to God. And that's great. But if you choose to be married, it's something that God has instituted. It's something that's beautiful. We need to see it through God's eyes. For how God defines it. For what God wants it to be. And make sure that our marriage, that our marriage has God in it. That our marriage is it is put together with God in mind. And that our home as well has God within it. I don't know where you stand. Spiritually speaking, I, I don't know what your life is like. I, I don't know if you've been faithful to God. I don't know where you stand in your marriage. Maybe it's there's something there that needs to be corrected. But if you're not a Christian, then we'll give you the opportunity to respond, to be obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, by faith, repenting, confessing, being baptized for the remission of sin. If it is that, that you need to repent, maybe you need to come back and rededicate your life to Him, then we offer you that, that opportunity as well. But if your heart is not right with God, for any reason, whatever the case may be, we give you the opportunity to come as together we stand and as we stand. Jesus is calling.